0: Good morning. morning. How far can God go to save someone who is seeking Him? Think of the unsaved in Africa, Papua New Guinea. How can God save that person? Turn, please, with me to Hebrews chapter 11. This is going to kind of like be our theme verse. You can have a title for the message. This is, I guess the title of the message will be Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Then, of course, for God to reward you, you also have to know a Christian. You also have to live in an area where there are other Christians who will witness to you. You have to have access to a Bible. No. No, it stops there. No. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's no other requirements. Must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's no location requirements. You don't have to be in a certain place no acquaintance requirements. You don't have to know certain people. Diligently seek the Lord and he will reward you. We're going to look at a guy this morning who's pretty far. You, you, you'd look at his starting place as along the lines of those guys we were just talking about, like the uh, unsaved person in the middle of Papua New Guinea. This guy lives in a heathen society with idols everywhere, you know. Jupiter, Diana, Neptune. It's just part of the society. It's not like some of the people there worship them. it's, It's part of what everybody does. They worship these idols. Emperor worship also goes on. And he didn't like move into this society and have a different background. He was brought up in this society. All of his life he's been there. And he has no connection with the Bible or with God in any way. He doesn't have a believing uh, servant, a believing son who will lead him to the Lord. There's no connection there. He's governor of this pagan land where he lives. We read in 1 Corinthians one twenty-six that not many noble are called. And you know that's true. He would definitely be considered noble. He's also considered intelligent. That could be a good thing or it could be it could be something that would hinder him. We read that not many wise, according to the flesh are called. It could be something that would hold him back from getting saved. He has a devil-inspired sorcerer for a court attendant. And to top everything else off, he's away from Israel, or the early churches. This is in the early days of the church. He's, he's literally on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. He's pretty far away. So how's this guy going to be saved? Well, turn please to Acts chapter 13. We're going to read about him. His name is Sergius Paulus. You can go look him up on Wikipedia. They have, um, he was, oh man, I don't remember now. He's one of the proconsuls of Cyprus. It's the highest elected office that you could have in the uh, Roman government. They didn't elect their uh, emperors, but they did elect their proconsuls. And so he's the governor of Cyprus. Big high up dude. Acts chapter 13, verse 4. Speaking of Barnabas and Saul, who's going to be uh, Paul. So, they being, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, which is in Syria. They're going down from Antioch. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus, which if you don't know, is an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemas the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Sergius Paulus, the proconsul of Cyprus, says, this man sought to hear the word of God. Hebrews eleven six. 6. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This man sought to hear the word of God. He's diligently seeking the Lord. We'll see how diligently in a little bit. Notice, by the way, it doesn't say that he sought to hear the gospel. I made that mistake when I first read it. I kind of read, hear the word of God is hear the gospel. No, it's not the same thing. This man sought to hear the word of God. He doesn't know what he's looking for. He's not sure. He wants to hear the word of God. I know that there are gods, all these gods that I've been worshiping, I know they're all fake. I know God's out there somewhere. I don't know exactly what I need to hear. I I know God's out there. I want to hear the word of God. He he, he doesn't know what the gospel is, but he wants to hear the word of God. It's a good start. Good place to start from. Paul, in a sermon to the Greeks later on, speaking of everybody, he, he says, and God has made from one blood, every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. In the hope that they might grope for him and find him. When are you going to grope? Usually when you can't see anything, when you're blind. You ever done that? You know, ju- just to imagine what it would be like to be blind, closed your eyes, and tried to get around your house. Come on, most of us have done that at some point. I wonder what that'd be like. And you're kind of groping around because I can tell the podium's here. I don't know what's out here, and I don't know what's over there. I know that somewhere over here the Declaros are sitting, and if I keep groping around, I'll find them. But I can't see them. I have to kind of feel my way to them. I'm groping. Something's out there. I don't know what it is. That's what Sergius Paulus is doing. He's groping. He, he's not asking to hear the gospel. He just wants to hear the word of God. Talk to me. Talk to me about what God says because I don't know. Now realize, God isn't playing hard to get. It's very important to realize. God's not saying, I'm over here. Now I'm over here. Try and find me. Try and catch me. No, God doesn't do that. You know know the Lord well enough to know that he's not going to do something like that. Groping implies a problem with the searcher. You don't grope around when someone's skitter. when my hamster's in the cage, my, my chinchilla's in the cage, I don't grope around trying to grab her. I know where she is and I keep reaching for her. It's hard sometimes because she's moving all over the place, but I don't call what I'm doing groping because I can see where she is. I grope when I don't know where something is and I can't see it. Groping implies a problem with the searcher, not with the thing that's sought. It could be obvious. It could be very obvious. But if you're blind, you could totally miss it. Turn please to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul's talking about people who are blind, which is everyone before they get saved. 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. He says... Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Has God blinded their eyes? Now the God of this age, who's that? That's the devil, Yeah. The devil has blinded the eyes of Sergius Paulus to try to keep him from getting saved. The devil wants to do everything that he can to keep Sergius Paulus from going to heaven. He wants him to go to hell. The devil, want, the devil would be no happier than to see Sergius Paulus die without ever coming to know God and going to hell afterwards. That's what he wants. So he's blinded his eyes. Did the devil only do it then or does he still do it? He bet he still does it. You're basically a good person, Matt. You know, Amy, disobedience to parents isn't really that bad. It's all part of growing up. Doing good works, if there is a heaven, doing good works will get you to heaven. You know, it's okay for a man and a woman to have a physical relationship outside of marriage as long as they love each other. It wasn't your fault. You you couldn't help getting angry. You know, it's more important to live in the now than to consider eternal things. You've got to live in the now. You know, there's too many hypocrites in the church. And only what you can touch is real. Only this podium is real. There's no, there's no spiritual world. There's nothing after you die. You're just dust. You're really just an overgrown uh, amoeba. Sin is fun and rewarding. You know that. It's, it's fun. You get a lot of pleasure out of sinning. It, it, it's, a good, it's a good thing, you know. There's lots of good stuff you can get that way. And God only wants to spoil your fun. You know, and it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. That's the only thing that matters. Whatever it is, as long as you really, really mean it, you're okay. You know what? Homosexuality is natural and it's good. And that lie you told, it was only a little white lie. It's not that big of a deal. Honestly, you're a better person than most of the people you know. Now that this darkness has been ingrained in my mind, both through the world telling me and through my own self wanting to believe it, I can't see the truth. There is so much of that going on. I'm all confused. I don't know what's out there. I can't see anything anymore. That's so darkening my mind. All of that, all those lies that the devil is saying that I want to believe. So what's going to happen to Sergius Paulus now? He's been blinded just like everybody else. And in addition to that, he's so far away. He's on the island of Cyprus. Is he going to be able to get saved? Well, let's pull back and look at it from God's point of view. Stop looking at it from the view of me, you know, looking at Sergius Paul. So all of a sudden, look at it the way the Lord sees it. What is the Lord looking for? What does the Lord want? Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says this, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. What's the Lord looking for? When you search for me with all your heart. We don't use that phrase much. I, I don't say that I'm going to go out and I'm going to search for a job with all my heart. If I started to talk that way, they probably wouldn't give me a job in the first place. they thought I was too old-fashioned. Search with all your heart. It's the only thing that my heart cares about. All of my heart, all of my desires are wrapped up in this. It's the only thing. It's not just one of the important things to me, all your heart. Gods saying, "Search for me, when you, you'll find me when you search for me as if I as the only thing that's important to you. Look, I'm God, I'm worth it. Do you think the Lord is worth searching for with all your heart? It is a disrespect to God to not search for him with all your heart. And the Lord's not going to honor that. If I'm not important enough to you that you're not going to search for me with all your heart, then I'm not, no, you're not going to find me. You need to treat me as if I'm the most important thing because I am, he says. You'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. Hebrews eleven six 6, again, he who comes to God must believe that he is and what? He's a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him. Diligently seek. Put effort into it. What does diligence mean? Diligence always, I associate with sweat. you going out, we, we dug a garden for Amy a while ago at home, out in the front. Man, that was hard work. Because our dirt, you know, it's not loose dirt, it's adobe. It's almost like clay and you're digging it and, and you know, moving it a little bit. Push it in there. It's hot. It's tiring. It's hard labor. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Sweat and hard labor should be involved. It should be that important. Turn please to Luke chapter 13. This is the words of the Lord Jesus now. Luke chapter 13, verse 23. Then one said to Jesus, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. The Greek word for that is agonizomai. Agonize. Agonize. agonize over entering through the narrow gate. You should search. You should take your search to the point that it hurts if necessary. Agonize to enter through the narrow gate. It has to mean that much that if it hurts, fine. I don't care. It's too important. Agonize over entering through the narrow gate. Search for me with all your heart. Diligently seek him. Is it possible for a person to seek God in a lackadaisical way? What do you think? I think it's possible for someone to try. In fact, I would say that most people do. I think most people seek for God. I think most of them seek, though, that's how they seek God. Eh, It's important, sure. I I mean, if you would ask someone, is eternity important, they're not going to say to you, no, it's not important. No, yeah, they'd say it's important. It's not the most important thing for them, but it's important. Everyone thinks about eternity sometimes. What's going to happen after I die? Has anyone in here never thought about that? Everyone thinks about that, of course. What's going to happen to me? Some even go to church for a while. Some even try to clean up their lives a little. Because it's important to them. What's going to happen once I die? What about eternity? But they're not really that serious about it. It is important to them, sort of. But they're not really diligently seeking God. It's not that important. They're not agonizing over it. Other things are much more important to them. They are searching for things with all their heart. If you were to ask someone, Are you searching for something with all your heart? Absolutely. I need to have a purpose in my life. I need to be doing something. What are they searching for? Here's a big one for someone my age girlfriend or a boyfriend. I'm searching for that with all my heart. Stop it. For a lady my age, perhaps. Hey, this is the 21st century in the Bay Area, isn't it? How about pleasure? Searching for pleasure with all your heart. Absolutely, that's a big one. I really want to have a good time. That's really important to me. I mean, is is it a bad thing to have a good time? No, it's not. I like to have fun. That's a good thing. That's what I'm searching. But to be searching for that with all my heart, for that to be the important thing to me, is something wrong. Money. Trying to make a lot of money. Popularity. Whether it's at school. On the job, you know, that guy is just the best in his field. You know, I know if I have a problem, I can take it to him, take it to her. I know that person is going to get it done and get it done right. That's the most important thing to me, to be that person. What is it? The quote uh, of the baseball player who said, uh, I want people to watch me walking down the street and say, there goes so-and-so, the best person who ever played the game. That's the most important thing to him. That's what he was searching for with all his heart. Happiness. I want to be happy. I want to have a good wife. I want to have kids. I want to take them on vacations. I want to, you know, have a good job that I enjoy. And that's what I'm searching for with all my heart. Is that a bad thing? No, absolutely not. That's a good thing. But to be searching for that with all my heart, to be agonizing over that, the Lord talks about those people who are searching for that with all of their heart. Back to Luke 13 again. He says, "Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able." What? Did you just kind of do a double take when you read that? There's going to be people who are seeking to enter and aren't entering. God's turning people away. I I I, I didn't know God did that. I thought that if people sought, God says, "If you seek me, you'll find me." Right? How can this happen? Would God actually turn someone away? Can I say to God, Lord, let me into heaven? And God would say, no. He goes on, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open up, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I don't know you, where you are from. They miss their chance. It's called a window of opportunity. Now it's too late. You know what? Are these people agonizing about coming in? What do you think? Are they agonizing? Do you think this is the most important thing for these people right now? To enter the kingdom of God? Once it's too late? Oh man. You talk about priorities. <laughs> it's their top priority to enter the kingdom of God now. Lord, please let us in. Lord, I don't care what it takes. I'll put aside everything else. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my pride. I'm sorry for what I did. Could you just please let me into heaven now? It's too late. You should have agonized earlier. You're going to agonize all you want to, and believe me, you're going to agonize. not going to do you any good. You know, hell sets people's priorities really well. All of a sudden you realize... You know, I can see where I was coming from, thinking that it was important to have a girlfriend and then to have a family and have a good job. But I don't have that job anymore. I don't have a girlfriend anymore. I don't have anything, and I don't have a relationship with God. All that pleasure that I used to find, I don't find that pleasure anymore. I should have been diligent about entering the kingdom of God. You know the rich man in hell that the Lord talks about? Remember, Lazarus dies. This is a different Lazarus, not the one that Jesus raised from the dead. A different, an old beggar. He dies and he goes to heaven. And the rich man whose gate he used to lay at, the rich man who lived it up, had pleasure, he probably had a good time. I don't know, maybe he had a great family, lots of fun, lots of girlfriends. Good time. Now he's in hell. What do you think will be the first words out of his mouth? Get me out of here. I don't deserve to be here. Wouldn't you think that? He doesn't say that. He realizes he deserves to be there. The only thing he's concerned about is his brothers. He says, Father Abraham, could you please send someone back to my brothers so they don't have to come here? He's got his priorities straight now. Hell makes great evangelists. Seeking God will be the most important thing for every single person in this room at some point. I can tell you that with certainty. Whether you are a believer, whether you are not. Whether you believe what I'm saying right now or whether you don't. Seeking God will be the most important thing to you at some point in your life. And it will be too late for most people. Of course, Sergius Paulus is not in this category. Sergius Paulus is seeking with all his heart. Hebrews eleven six, 6. Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There is time. This was, there was time for Sergius Paulus and he was diligently seeking the Lord. You know, we used to do a game at home. I kind of wish we'd do it again. It was really fun. Um, we have a big family room. And we used to hide people around the room, and it wasn't hiding in the sense of you can't see them because they'd be hiding in plain sight half the time. But what you do, you know, you'd have someone standing up on the bricks next to the um, next to the fireplace. You'd have someone hiding in the closet. Even the closet door might even be open, and you could see them. But then you'd blindfold the searcher. It was a lot of fun because you're standing there, like dude, I'm right here, and they're walking around and they can't see you. It was honestly usually a matter of luck whether or not you'd find whether or not the searcher would find. You know half the time you kind of have to make noises. You know, I'm standing over here, woo, 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 woo. And they're like, oh, something came from over there and then they'd find you. It was lots of fun. But it was a matter of luck, whether or not you'd find it. There's a special promise from the Lord. I'm speaking particularly of the unsaved here. There's a special promise from the Lord. You don't. You, it's not a matter of luck. If you seek the Lord diligently, he says, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. There's no luck involved. He wants you to grope about. Because once you grope about and you show what really means something to you, He's going to put it in your hands. As soon as Sergius Paulus meets this requirement of searching for the Lord diligently, it's a done deal. The rest is history. The rest is as if it's already been written. The Lord is going to ensure... That Sergius Paulus gets saved. That he finds the Lord. But how can God save him? He's so far away. That, 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 that's not a problem. The Lord can take care of that. The odds are slim to none that he'd meet a Christian at this point in history. I mean, think about it. The church has just begun. They're not sending out missionaries. You know, I mean, well, they're, they're just about to. These are the first ones. Very small. Saul has just gotten saved. But God brings Paul himself to Sergius Paulus. Even back in verse 4 of... uh, Go ahead and turn back to Acts. Acts chapter 13. You'll notice how involved the Holy Spirit is in this. It says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus. God was planning for Sergius Paulus to get saved. The Holy Spirit sent Paul and Barnabas. I don't think... I, I don't know. I would guess that Sergius Paulus at this point wasn't seeking God. He might have been. I'll bet he wasn't. I'll bet that he started seeking God when he heard about Saul and Barnabas on the island and says, wait a minute, that's interesting. And then all of a sudden he starts thinking about eternal things. But the Holy Spirit, you see, is taking care of Sergius Paulus way back here, making sure they go to Cyprus. You notice also that there's no, at least there's no recorded great revival on Cyprus. They're preaching in the synagogues, but we don't hear about a lot of people getting saved. We don't hear about a church starting up. It's almost like their only purpose is to publicize their position, I mean, who they are, and then Sergius Paulus is going to hear about them and call for them. The Lord is taking care of him, Sergius Paulus is seeking. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is taking care of him, it is in the Lord's court now. It's like the Lord, it's like a tennis ball, hit the tennis ball you diligently seek him, you're going to hit the ball back. It is in the Lord's court now. It's his responsibility now to take care of things, and he will. It's the same thing with the unsaved in foreign lands. People are always wondering, what about you know the, the, the people in Africa who've never heard? What about those people in Borneo in the middle, in the middle of Borneo, who, who, have, who don't have any contact with outside civilization? The Lord will take care of them. This is a promise from the Lord. The same word that you believed, John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That verse that you believe and you were saved says, the Lord is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your hearts. That is in the word. The Lord is going to take care of those people. He took care of you, didn't he? When you search for him with all your heart, um, believers, yeah. You found the Lord. The Lord will take care of anyone who diligently seeks him. So thinking about that diligence and that agonizing that Sergius Paulus is going through, I think that one of the biggest things for him is what would have been his pride. This guy's proconsul of the entire island of Cyprus. Like I said, this is the highest elected office in the Roman uh, Empire at this point, the biggest empire in the world. He's proconsul. He's the governor of Cyprus. Think about how the other Roman rulers treated Paul. When Paul's talking to Agrippa and Festus, he's—I pre- mean—he gives an incredible sermon, an incredible—you know—he shares the gospel with them. Here's my testimony, you know. This is how I came to know the Lord. You know. Here's how it applies to you. Festus is sitting over there, who's one of them, one of the Roman rulers, and he looks at Paul and he says, "Paul, much learning is driving you mad. This guy's nuts. I mean, you know, can we please get rid of this guy and talk about some more important things, please?" And Agrippa's a little, more, a little more polite. You know, he's, he, he, he kind of pats him on the head. You know, that's nice. You, know, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. You, you, you said that really well, Paul. Good job. But then, of course, he goes off and talks with Festus. The only thing that he's interested in is whether we should release Paul or no. And, you know, of course, from a legal standpoint, he can't do it, so he's like, eh, okay. That, that, that's all that he's interested in. That, that, that's how most Roman rulers, that, that, that's how most people would treat someone like Paul. Why should a proconsul Place himself in a position to be taught by an itinerant Jewish preacher. But Sergius Paulus considers this a matter of such importance that his station and his pride in his station doesn't matter to him right now. He's willing to have his pride hurt. He's willing to set that aside to hear the word of the Lord. It also says that he's an intelligent man. This could be good or bad. I think it's good. It could be bad in the sense of we read, like I said, The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. There are many people who are worldly wise and that keeps them from the Lord. Think of the scientists nowadays who have so much knowledge. They know so much, you know, about evolution, about the way the universe came to be, about the big bang. They're so spiritually foolish. That that keeps them from the Lord. But, and Sergius Paulus would have to realize that all the worldly learning he has doesn't do him any good before God. It doesn't get him anywhere. But I think the intelligence was a good thing. It says he was an intelligent man because he had his priorities straight. He realized what was important. He saw the necessity of agonizing. He saw how important it was to do that. Again, it's not, we don't throw our brains out the window when we get saved. Our faith is defensible there's a reason for it. Uh, Peter says, be ready to give a reason for it. It's very intelligent. In fact, it's the smartest thing you could do, which is why Sergius Paulus is putting that kind of effort into hearing the word of the Lord. Isn't this guy encouraging? I I mean, really, wouldn't you love to meet this guy? Someone who's saying, tell me the word of the Lord. I I need to know it. Isn't that great? I, I really find him encouraging. I would love to meet a guy like this. You want to hear the word of the Lord? Let me tell you. Please, I want to tell you all about it. Let me tell you how to get saved. That's great. Unfortunately, there's someone with him who wants to stop him from getting saved. Who wants to stop this man from getting saved. This guy is Elemus the sorcerer. who, Who ultimately wants to stop people from getting saved? Absolutely. And, and, and Paul sees that right away. He sees the devil is involved. He calls him, You son of the devil. Absolutely. There's a lot higher powers involved here than just some guy. No, the devil's involved here. Elymas is trying. In fact, it doesn't say that he sought to turn him away, it says that he was seeking to turn him away from the truth. This is terrible. You want to know the worst thing you could do? It's this. This is the worst thing that you could do. This is worse than murder. I say that in all sincerity, not just in a point of looking at it, not just from this point of view, it's worse. No, this is worse than murder. Trying to turn someone away. Working for the damnation of someone's eternal soul. This is terrible stuff. Seeking to turn him away. You know, Sergius Paulus, you may have heard about Jesus. Jesus was the son of God. Jesus died for your sins. No, Sergius Paulus, don't listen to them. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. Jesus was a criminal. He was executed by the Romans for crimes that he'd done. That's not true. Jesus died. He was buried. And you know what? Be- God the Father showed that he was satisfied with the sacrifice that Jesus made for your sins, Sergius Paulus, by raising his son from the dead. Sergius, how can you listen to these guys? You know nobody rises from the dead. That's that, that's dumb. You, you you can't believe that. And Sergius Paulus, all you have to do is believe. Nothing else you got to do. Trust the Lord Jesus to save you from your sins. I don't know how you keep listening to these guys. Look, do you think that you're just gonna believe something and then you're gonna go to heaven? What about all the good things you have to do? What about all the bad things you've done in the past? Don't you have to do good things to make up for those now? These guys don't know what they're talking about. Seeking to turn him away from the truth. Jesus talks about guys like this. The scribes and the Pharisees. He talks about them in Matthew 23. You don't need to turn there. They're just like Elymas. They're seeking to turn people away from God. In this chapter where Jesus is addressing them, he says over and over, woe to you. Woe to you. This is the same Jesus who said, blessed are the meek. The same Jesus who said, I am willing. Be cleansed. This same Jesus is now saying, he has terribly harsh things to say about the scribes and Pharisees because this is so serious what they're doing. He says, woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is won, you make him twice the son of hell as you are yourselves. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which inwardly, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Woe to you. Something terrible is going to happen to you. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, if he were drowned in the depth of the sea. It would be better for you if that were to happen to you than what's going to happen to you. If you were to look at someone saying, here, let me tie this millstone around your neck and then go throw it into the sea and you, with it, you would say, yeah, that's better to happen to me than what's about to happen to me because of what I've done. This is really serious stuff. The Lord is very protective of these little ones, just like Sergius Paulus. Those people who acknowledge their own helplessness and come to him, tell me the word of the Lord. Tell me what God has to say. I don't know it. Sergius Paulus is incredibly vulnerable at this point. Is Elemas going to cost him his soul? Well, no. We know we have the promise of the Lord. The Lord is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He rewards those who diligently seek him. He's going to take care of Sergius Paulus. We read that Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at Sergius Paulus. This rebuke comes straight from God. He's not being unkind to Sergius Paulus. He's not, you know, blowing a fuse. I can't stand what this guy is saying anymore. No. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. What does he say? Paul looks at Sergius Paulus, this Paul who's trying to win Sergius Paulus for the Lord. He looks at this guy. I wonder what that would have been like to have Paul look at you like that. Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud. This guy's a fake. And Paul knows it, and Ellimus knows it, and Ellimus knows Paul knows it. You son of the devil. It's interesting, his name is Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. Paul's saying, you're not, you're not Bar-Jesus, you're Bar-Devil. What Elemus is trying to do is straight from the mouth of hell. You enemy of all righteousness. Who is that? He, he, all of a sudden, I mean, it's like he's talking to Satan here. You enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Will you not cease? It looks like this guy's had a history of it. He has, it's not like once, woo, let me do it here, no. Will you not cease? This guy does. He's been doing it over and over, perverting the straight ways of the Lord. God doesn't play games with people. The path to salvation is clear and straight. And Elamus is trying to twist it and turn it into something else. Will you not cease perverting, twisting the straight ways of the Lord? People do that nowadays. Take a verse out of context let's build a whole new doctrine over it that completely tears down everything else in the Bible. Let's twist it. Let's find hidden meanings in the verses. Peter talks about people who do that to the writings of Paul. He says, untaught and unstable people twist them to their own destruction, twisting what God has laid out clearly in His Word, changing it to mean something else. This is very bad stuff. And this is something that Paul cannot allow to happen. When there's something against the clear teaching of Scripture, Paul defended the truth and addressed false teaching with all of his might. He's the gentlest guy normally. We've been reading in 1 Corinthians, he is so nice. 2 Corinthians, he loves these guys so much. But all of a sudden, if you start attacking the truth itself, it's like he's going to pull out every gun in his arsenal and start blazing away because this cannot happen. He's speaking to the Judaizers in Galatians 1 and he says, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Even Peter. Peter's doing something that unfortunately was going to stumble. Some other believers. Peter was you know, trying to basically, basically showing by his actions that the Jews and the Gentiles really should still be separate. And Paul says, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. There was something that needed to be said for the truth. It needed to be shown that no, there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles anymore. Matt can sit next to Noad right now and there's no problem. Noad's a Jew. Matt's a Gentile. No problem. God has broken down the middle wall of separation. That needs to be seen right now. It cannot be allowed to, well, we won't worry about that now, you know. I appreciate what Peter's doing all, maybe talk about, maybe talk to him later, but we'll let it slide. No, this is the truth. This has to be defended. In matters of personal pride or feelings, Paul was gentle and gracious and allowed people to treat him however they wanted but when it came to the truth of the gospel, Paul vigorously stood for what was true. <clears throat> in, in 2 Timothy 4.7, we read Paul's talking to Timothy and he says, I have kept the faith. I stayed saved. I didn't give it up. I'm okay. I'm going to heaven now. No, we were talking uh, this morning about how they would keep the Passover lamb. You protect the Passover lamb. Paul kept the faith. Paul protected the truth. He held the front lines against the enemy. I have kept the faith, he says, Timothy. Paul's about to die. He says, look, all my life, whenever the truth was attacked, I kept the faith. I preserved it. I held the front line against the enemy, and I stood for what was was true, and it still stands. The truth is still there because I stood for it. I'm speaking now to those people who are younger in the assembly, We still have solid biblical teaching because men among us have stood up for the truth, just like Paul. That's the reason that we still have going on what we have going on. If you're like me, you thank God all the time for Calvary Bible Chapel. You thank the Lord that there is still solid teaching from the word, that we're still going through the Bible. We're still looking at the words. We still believe every single thing in there. That didn't just happen because, well, it's the truth and it's kind of there. The devil is constantly attacking that truth. The devil is trying to tear that down actively. Spiritual entropy is constantly taking place. You know, entropy. Something, you look at a farm in the 1900s, it looked gorgeous. Then you look at it now, it's a ruin. Because of entropy. It falls apart. Things tend to fall apart. The same thing is going to happen to the truth unless men are there to defend it, like Paul. To stand for the truth. The devil himself is actively trying to tear it down. And the truth will only stand because godly men recognize false doctrines, speak against them and preach the truth clearly. That has been happening in this assembly for 27 years. And I thank God for the people who have done it, but they're getting older. Paul died. Paul says, I have kept the faith. Paul isn't keeping the faith anymore. Paul is dead. Paul's with the Lord Jesus. Who of my generation is going to stand up for the truth and preserve it? It's not going to stand on its own. It takes godly men to do that. Praise the Lord for Paul. Elemas' plans were foiled. He tried to turn Sergius Paulus away and it didn't work. And I, how, 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 how much poetic justice is involved in the fact that he's blind? I, I, mean, I mean, seriously, think about it. This, this is like one of those things you read a, you know, in a book. It's like, great, now he's blind. It serves him right. He was, he was blind. He was trying to lead someone else. And now he's really blind. He was spiritually blind. Now he's physically blind. And he gets to kind of think about it. I love it, by the way. The verse says that he was going around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. It doesn't say that he was being led. I don't see anybody rushing forward to lead Sergius Paulus by the I mean, to lead Elemis by the hand. Please, hello, somebody help me out here. I can't see anything. Like... How appropriate. And Sergius Paulus believes. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So Elemis ends up serving God's purposes. The Lord was working. Sergius Paulus had diligently sought the Lord. The Lord was going to see to it that Sergius Paulus was saved, and he was going to use Elemas for that. I promise you Elemas didn't realize that was going to happen, but the Lord used him. That sorcerer that we were talking about, that that you would think would keep him from getting saved, actually helped to lead him to the Lord. And notice Sergius Paulus didn't just believe because of the sign. It says he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He believed what Paul had said. He believed the message of the gospel. He groped for God. He didn't know what to do. He wanted to hear the word of God. That was what he asked for. He put aside his station and he approached God humbly as a little one. Put aside his pride. He searched for God with all his heart. He diligently sought the Lord. He didn't even allow elements to turn him away from God, and God was a rewarder of the one who diligently sought Him. God honored Sergius Paulus as agonizing, and he was saved. God's still a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Did you find it a little scary thinking about? I mean, be, be honest with yourself because it's important. If you're not honest with yourself, well, not going. No one's going to be. Be honest with yourself. Did you find it a little terrifying thinking about hell? Thinking about being left outside, seeking God when there's no chance? That time hasn't come yet. God is still a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you know the Lord today? If you don't, agonize. He's worth it. Search for him with all your heart. Make it your top priority. Make it your only priority with all your heart. Everything that you want. I'm reminded of the... uh, I don't know who it was. The lady who called our house and said... This was an unsaved lady and she said, I need to get saved. I I, I need to hear the gospel. I I, I know that I'm going to hell and I need someone to help me. Okay, well, can you come on? Drive over and we'll talk to you. I know. I know. I'm not going to drive over. I don't want to get in an accident and die on my way over. (laughs) You're going to come to me. I need to hear the gospel. It was that important. Grope for the Lord and you will find Him. If you seek for Him, you will find Him. God will see to it. You want to make God do something? You want to see the Lord at work? Seek for Him with all your heart. You will find Him. God will see to it. Don't become one of those hell-made evangelists who can't save themselves or their friends because they realize the truth too late. Seek for him now. The Lord is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the straight ways of the Lord. If man had devised it, Lord, there would be so many twists and turns in trying to come to you, Lord, so much uncertainty, so much we'd have to do. Lord, it's so simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Thank you for such a clear way of salvation. Lord, thank you that you do reward diligent seekers. Lord, we're not earning your favor by doing this. Lord, you choose to reward those who diligently seek you. We thank you for that, Lord. I thank you as one who you did reward. Thank you for doing that, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you give us no other requirements, that you can save anyone wherever they are if they will seek you. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's unsaved. I pray, Lord, that they would grope for you. Lord, I pray that you would put it in their hearts to diligently seek for you, Lord. Let this be for them, Lord, the only thing. I pray, Lord, that starting right now, this morning, that it will become the top priority for them, Lord, to come to you, to seek for you, and to be saved, Lord, because we know that you will reward them. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word now. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.